Hello and welcome to the Instech London podcast. This is Matthew Grant, one of the partners at Instech London. And in this episode, we're bringing to you the final set of discussions from our recent MGA event, uh, MGA's Next Frontier for InsurTech, that we held in London on the 2nd of April. Uh, you'll hear in this episode from Ivari, Laka, Zurich and Envelope. Uh, and if you're interested in actually learning a little bit more about MGA's and in particular what they are, you can find an article I wrote uh, under my LinkedIn profile, Matthew Grant, which gives a bit more background to the uh, slightly mysterious world of InsurTechs. Uh, if you want to find out more about what we did for the event, you can find us at www.instec.london. So, Ivari, what we've done is we've built technology which enables us to um, offer dynamic insurance policies. And when I say dynamic, they're policies which are flexible and can change as the insured's uh, circumstances fluctuate or their needs change. Um, we, we are an MGA, we're a Lloyd's cover holder, and we actually uh, manufactured and we distribute insurance products to small businesses directly in Australia. But um, as you noted, we, we actually now are working with other carriers and MGAs and using the Avari platform to help power their business too. Okay, and what brought you over here from Australia to, uh, to the UK? Um, not the weather, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, the market's obviously so much better here uh, in terms of size. Um, and we, we're also tackling other uh, markets as well. So we're now working with um, MGAs in the US and people in Europe to offer our technology. Um, and we're looking at um, what MGA presence makes sense for us from a Vari perspective in the UK too. And, and so where's the main focus? Are you using the MGA to basically understand and prove the business model, but do you see the real growth coming from being the, the platform to offer to other MGAs, or are you sort of still driving hard on the MGA route? Um, our business in Australia really serves as a, a test bed for us to um, be testing technology and really learning about how dynamic policies should work and uh, and the user behaviour in terms of how people interact with those policies is quite important if we want to be able to offer uh, products for that. Um, I suppose our, our core IP really is in the technology so we have a, a solution that we can offer out of the box to, to run your MGA uh, which we're doing. Uh, it's also modular so we're working with carriers. They can get the advantage of the dynamic real-time pricing engine, the data connections, uh, the underwriting rules, all, all of those kind of features that come through that. There are quite a few organizations, we've heard it from a few tonight, who are offering uh, platforms. How do, you, how do you distinguish yourself then when you're building this platform for organizations from uh, the other choices they may have? Yeah, good question. Um, so from, there's a few things that our clients tell us and, and that we've learned. So one is the richness of the features in terms of the ability to do these dynamic policies which um, you can move in real time based on data and, and other inputs as to what changes. So real time policies and uh, customer, uh, convenient customer features. Um, the other thing I think is um, really our knowledge of the insurance industry and our ability to uh, help influence the product design. There's some of the things that uh, really make a difference. And then thirdly, um, the speed to market. So at the moment we're taking a, we're in the order of a few weeks um, to be able to launch products. We're trying to get that down to days. Down to? Uh, down to days. Down to days. Okay. So we're not there at the moment, we're in the, the weeks range, but um, later in the year we expect to be down to days to, to launch products, and that's important not just from when you're launching your first product, but actually um, you really want to be able to iterate on that product on an ongoing basis, um, so you need the ability to go in and change rates and portfolio uh, adjustments and things over time. So 
Um, that's a, a huge emphasis for our team at the moment. So if you, I mean, if you can launch products in days, are you finding partners to work with? Have they also got the ability to make decisions fast enough? Or are you kind of racing ahead of them and now the, the, the sort of choke point is decision making in your in your, your clients or in your, uh, in your carriers? Yeah, so I, I guess we're trying to raise a bar from a technology perspective in terms of what they, uh, what's available. Um, but what we find is in practice, you, know, you can only configure a product once you know what that looks like. So we, um, there's a cycle to work through with um, people in terms of what a product should be designed like, what the user experience will be. Um, and the technology, we're just trying to make it easy. So it's just a tool that you use uh, when you go through that process. Okay, so easier, faster, dynamic pricing, route to market is kind of all the way you'd position yourselves. Yeah, we really see that if you raise a bar in terms of the standard features you should get out of the box, it should be able to switch things on and off or connect it to data and have digital policies that change in, in line with the insurance, all of those things. Um, and it should be easy to configure so you can put your effort in terms of designing a good product which um, meets the, the insured's needs. Great. And actually, on, so on the underwriting side for the MGA business, how, how's that doing in terms of sort of access to the market and, and uh, growth of the business? Yeah, going well. So we, uh, that particular one, our, our technology is uh, channel agnostic, but for our MGA business, we're focusing on direct. Uh, as, and the secondary focus for us is on working with partners. So uh, affinity brands who can put, uh, use our APIs to offer products at point of sale. Um, and, and that's really our focus is on how we get that big volume distribution um, using pr the innovative products that we've built there. Okay. And, and how long have you been offering that for? Uh, we've, we're about 18 months into our, our journey in terms of offering policies. Great. Okay, Robert, thanks very much. So you've got time for um, a couple of questions. If you're asked um, why someone would choose you over someone who is an MGA as well as technology provider, what's your response? Uh, I, I think it comes down to our ability to understand the business. I mean, if you're a if you're trying to set up an MGA or an existing MGA looking to transform your business, we've already we've walked that path already. So we have some suggestions, some solutions in terms of technology or processes that we can offer. And I think that sort of quasi-consulting role that we play in partnership with clients, I think, can be really powerful. Um, and the for us, from a the platform has to to function. It has to be um, you know performant, have the right features. We have the ability to do that because we're learning every day through our NGA business as well. Yeah, great models. You have sort of um, eat your own dog food, I think is what they call it in Silicon Valley. Okay, Robert, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, uh, Toby and Arsenal, if you'd like to, uh, to join me up here on the sofas, that'd be great. Toby, a um, lot of people know about Lacquer. I don't know if everyone really still really understands what you do and I think the real test is someone can go home tonight and say wow I saw that guy Toby and he told me about what they're doing it's great and this is what they did so just tell me what do you do and um, what we do essentially is we have introduced a cost plus business model in the insurance world and by that we mean no more premiums up front we say it's kind of unfair that you have to pay premiums first for service down the line we say let's flip it around we pay out money first um, have a happy customer, and only at the end of the month, we send the customer a bill telling them, please, please, please pay me back my three pounds I spend on all of you, and basically introducing credit risk where there's underwriting risk before. So cost plus business model, the American Express of insurance, so to speak. So just, just tell me through this. So I take out a policy with you for my, my bicycle. My bicycle gets stolen. I put a claim into lacquer. 
what happens then? So we are proud, we've built our um, whole tech platform in-house, so we do the onboarding, administration, and claims handling all with us. Um, when there's a claim, we would look at that and pay out immediately. We have a bit of money sitting around from our partner Zurich. So we have a claims float at hand we can spend. We have claims authority for that as well. We are structured as an MGA, however, we are just using it as a vehicle. And um, we can pay out first, and at the end of the month, we um, get the money back from the customers on behalf, so to speak, Zurich, and we split the fees. So you're kind of creating peer pressure for people not to abuse the system. And I think you use your, part of your distribution model is through bicycle clubs and cycling clubs, so they kind of, you kind of create that group as well, is that right? So I probably should have said that our first proof of concept has been cover for high-end bikes, so really the juicy ones, £1,000 onwards, the average policy value is roughly £5,500 by now, so those people spending a lot of money on that, behaving very well, taking good care, it's an emotional um, asset for them, and with that we have a very good touch point and communication with the customer. So that's the first starting point, we're moving on to other products um, as soon as later this year. Awesome. Just to tell me, what, what, what was it about what Toby's doing that Zurich decided to, to back his business? I think it was trying to approach insurance in a whole different way. So it wasn't necessarily about the tech or customer acquisition. It was about underwriting in a completely different way. So at the end of the day, the result, it's, it's, it's a digital mutual insurance company. And what we get to learn is, well, how do we incentivize those people to, to behave as best as they can when they're in the risk pool? How do we manage the customer journey of doing something like this? So for us, it wasn't about this is going to make us billions or you know what I mean? This is something that I think should be the way most insurance should be operated in the future. So for us, it's about going on that journey with them. And, and what kind of insights have you found? Any, any surprises in terms of people's behavior and how they, how they claim and under this new model? So I think the most interesting thing is that people want to be part of a group, especially in the formal group like cycling, for instance, um, one person sent us a message saying, when I got my bill from Laka at the end of the month, I felt I helped people like myself getting back on the saddle, literally. So um, there's this breaking down the anonymity in a risk pool, um, holding people accountable. The more claims you have, um, the more you pay, um, which is capped, by the way, through a stop loss, also provided by Zurich. So the downside is limited, but we clearly tell, if you behave better, you save money. It's on to you. Um, if you claim less, it's not me making more profit, it's you saving money. And I think people like that message a lot. And, and how, I mean, having seen this, are you either seeing other examples out there, the other people doing this, and or do you, do you have ideas where you could use this beyond just cyclists? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're under considerable pressure from Toby to, uh, to expand the capacity and look at different lines of businesses that we're looking at now. I think also for someone like us, this has a lot of use cases internationally. So if we think outside the UK market, there's some really interesting places that Laka could go and prove this model and grow even more. Uh, but in, in cycling or into different lines of business? I think it's the digital mutual insurance bit that's the real interesting. I think the, 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 the bicycles is the first use case. It's not going to be the last one. I think to Toby will say that before I do. Um, but yeah, it's one of many to come. Okay. And for the technology behind this, so, so what do you see as your strategic advantage in the technology that you use to be able to make you successful? So I think the beauty is we don't have to integrate with Zurich, so it all sits with us. We have the full control. We even have claims authorities. So we can provide an end-to-end -end, um, service to the customer. 
We effectively have built our own policy administration system. We've built our own claims handling platform, and we send a monthly risk border road to Zurich and tell them what happened in hindsight, so to speak. So I think full control is really important. Customers expect that. I think um, putting a pretty face on a distribution strategy is, is a good starting point, but we really wanted to change the root cause of insurance. Why do people don't trust or like insurance? And we believe it's about incentivization, um, making money when you act against your customer. Uh, it's a strong thing to say in this room, but um, uh, realigning the interest um, in, in the insurance world is something as a, as a core of the proposition. And on that, I mean, the distribution, people are sort of quite conservative about how they buy. You know, they don't want to spend too much time on insurance. How do you... How do you sell it and how do you explain to people that it's different? Or do you just, it's insurance and actually they don't really know what goes on of the fact they pay slightly less. I mean, that's, how do you, how do you get to shift that behavior in their buying habits? The price is clearly important, right? So we need to be at least market ideally better. And on average, customers have saved roughly 50% compared to market last year, which is a good starting point. Um, but how do we sell this? So clearly we need the attention of the customer. It takes a minute. The first six, nine months were dreadful for us trading because we had to find the right words. It's a bit peer-to-peer um, -peer lending in the early days, um, a new proposition in the existing field. Um, how do you overcome the sentiment that it's just another me too, basically, right? To tell them we are really different. Um, it takes a second for them to understand. But once they are on board, they're really bought in. And for me, a Laka customer is not a cyclist. He's a, he um, would eventually buy more than one product from us. So upselling, cross-selling will be really important for us in 2019, 2020 and forward. Fantastic. Okay, so just a couple of final questions for you, then we'll open it up for the, for the audience. So, Sasson, what has been your uh, experience for, um, yeah, of working with an organization like this? You're very different to Zurich, going places. So if, it's not, if it's not challenging your organization, then it's probably not doing some things right. You know, what have you learned from that whole experience? I think in one word, it's probably uncomfortable, right? Because we, we get put in an uncomfortable space, which is good for the organization. Um, but in the lead up to this, I was thinking about what's the advice I would give to other insurers that, that, that do have these kinds of relationships. And I think the big one would be, I mean, we met before LACA was even called LACA. And I think we made the decision to back them on day one. And the rest of the time was me trying to sell it within Zurich to say, let's do this, right? Not just me, but a, a few of us. But I think the key thing is, as long as we're strategic, there's a lot of times where we cannot do what they want or they cannot provide the KPIs that we need. So I think we need to be strategically and long-term, the alignment needs to come there, not in the next three months and the next six months and what are the sales or what are the loss ratios? It's about, right, Toby, where are you going in the next five years? Mm -hmm. And can we learn and can we help move our organization towards something like that while they do that and learn from them? And that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, and I think what you said before is key. I mean, you, you see this clearly, you need to get revenue out of it at some point, but for you, it's a learning about how do you work with a different distribution model, a different way of paying claims. What's the advice for you for companies out there that have got a yeah, different and new model and just have to, have to work with a Zurich or somebody else? I mean, what, if you could sum it up in like one thing you did that you felt made you successful, what would that be? Um, I think that's just one word, persistency. Um, I think I had 28 um, people saying... Fantastic idea, I believe you're number two, um, but let someone else figure out the paperwork. Um, Aslan was a number one, basically, and he wanted to see it through, so I'm not saying we're the 29th person in my list, but um, it took a while, right? So a lot of people gave me a yes, maybe, a lukewarm um, responses. It's just about hitting the right person at the right um, level, at the right organization, and just staying in there. 
Good. And, and Arsenal's comment about he knew you when you had your previous name, was that his polite way of saying he convinced you to change it to a, a, different, a different name? Not at all. <laughs> that was our secret. That is our secret. Fair right. enough. Right. Okay. Well, we've got, we've got time for some questions from the, uh, from the audience. Hey, Tori. Um, hey. My question is for you. So just going back to when you were starting out and um, going out to look for some capacity, um, just looking back, was there any key learnings, um, things that you wish you had done better or things you wish someone had told you before? Um, probably I should have tried to speak the language better of the traditional insurance world. I think that could have helped a little bit until we got to the point to call the instruments. What we actually needed was a, a, a dreadful experience. Um, claims float um, and, and stop loss arrangement, um, I think I call it just different. And um, I, I guess having a translator, an intermediary almost, um, a couple of helpful hands are super helpful for that. Hi, guys. Um, quick question around uh, use cases. So obviously you're looking at things like cycling and other use cases internationally, globally. But uh, are you looking to uh, go into the SME space at all and look at commercial insurances for this type of uh, product or scope? Possibly, yes, but I think we deliberately um, choose, a, choose a very small use case to convince the regulator, insurance partners, customers. The risk, if we have five bikes more stolen, might be 20K. Um, the risk is significantly higher with, um, with SME insurance, right? So um, I guess we've built a lot of um, goodwill over the last 18 months or so, so there might be use cases beyond that and even bigger tickets. Um, time will tell. We need to fit the, and find the right distribution angle. We really like cycling because we can speed and meet the customer in their natural habitat. Acquisition costs much lower than trying to sell dental insurance on Google. So um, we'll see where it leads us to. We have a couple of ideas, and I think in Q2, Q3, we're going to do something together again. Excellent. Okay, Toby, awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. I know you've got a lot going on, so appreciate you being here. Okay, last up before the shout-outs is uh, Jonathan and Paul from Envelope Re. Uh, so let's talk a bit about what the business is anyway. So talk, talk to us a bit about what you're offering now. With So at the Envelope. moment, we're underwriting um, cyber reinsurance, and I think we've become one of the largest players in that market partnering with MS Amlin. Um, we launched that just at the end of last year, and already I think we're approaching something like 40 million in premium. So we've, we've exceeded our expectations. Uh, we are backed by AI and an augmented intelligence approach. So we are a little bit differentiated from some of our competitors. And Paul here has been closely involved in developing that. Um, and at the moment, we're, we're just concentrating on cyber. Uh, and we will begin to sort of diffuse some of our reinsurance capability into primary insurance markets as well. Okay, so just make sure I understand. So you, you're a reinsurance MGA, you're backed by MS Amlin, so essentially you're an alternative uh, route to the market for MS Amlin as opposed to their, their cyber team providing reinsurance into insurers directly, is that, is that right? Yeah, so I guess when we, when we started the company, we started with a very, very simple, pre uh, very simple premise which is that the first thing that you need to do before you start insuring or reinsuring anything is take the time to make sure that you really understand the risk. And we were really attracted to cyber. Um, I come from an aerospace and defense background. I was doing a lot of work with US military intelligence, NASA. We saw the opportunity um, that there are a number of emerging risks out there. Descartes was, was speaking to one in weather. Um, and I love the way uh, that he put it, where you have to model it like a physical system. You can't just build a statistical model. 
And that was the background of our team around using machine learning and using complex data sets and different types of simulation modeling to get your, get your head around what is this system and how can we start to predict it. And so the reason that we didn't like saying that we were an MGA up front or that we were intending to be an MGA is that that was a little bit more incidental to what our core strategy was. And our core strategy was to understand the risk and then find the best way to use that understanding to enable the market. Um, and when you do that, you can find business models that really grow and that, and that really scale. So we spent a couple of years building that model. We initially went to market um, in partnership with MSAMLIN underwriting reinsurance. So you are, you are underwriting insurance companies, those are your clients, or are you going, into the, are you going beyond that? For the, for the moment, just insurance. a reinsurance vertical. For, uh, so for our insurance, clients for are all insurance okay. companies, which is why you don't see our brand emblazoned on the side of buses or anything like that. Are you finding you can get enough information from your insurance clients to be able to assess the risk in a credible way, given that cyber's hard enough to, to understand and price if you're actually dealing directly with the end enterprise? Yeah, for sure. So we, we do get data from our um, clients that are insurers, but that is not a huge component of the data that we're analyzing. So one of the paradoxes about cyber risk is that um, you hear all the time, how do you analyze it? Because there's not enough data to analyze it. And that's true given a certain assumption about what type of data you would be looking for if you were going to build a statistical or an actuarial model. And the reason that it's a paradox is that I can't think of any other area in the world where there's actually more data available if you want to study it and try to understand the dynamics, because it's inherently digital. And so you can get behavioral information on any number of uh, pieces of the ecosystem and you can begin to understand how those speak together. Um, certainly a lot of that data is difficult to get. Certainly some of it's expensive. There's certainly some holes that you know that you can't get. Um, but that's the core of the system. Um, the data that we get from insurers, we assume that we get no information about those companies in, um, themselves. We're able to collect and analyze a lot of that data um, autonomously. We do it all the time. Um, and we're able to, as we get a border row, just effectively re-underwrite every single company in that border row and then stack them together and see what the correlations look like. Great. And Paul, your, your background and, again, some advice for people with a sort of technology orientation who want to get into insurance or, a, or a, new, a new business area. It's much more important to get the market fit right than it is to get the technology right. And so back when I was doing aerospace and defense stuff, it seemed like most of my job was just listening to engineers and listening to their absolute genius idea that no one would ever give them the least amount of money for to build and that no one would ever buy if it existed. And so if you are a technology person, you have to overcome your ability to look really deeply and see what's possible and you need to consider what uh, the user needs are. It's kind of a nice sign of the maturity of this industry that almost everyone up here has said that uh, almost exact thing, that it's about product market fit. It's about listening to the users. But um, yeah, and then from the technology person perspective, the other thing is that what users want is often just incredibly disappointing. You, you may want to build this incredible system that does something so complex that you just figured out how to do, and you think maybe you're the first person in the world that's ever figured out how to do it. But what they want is a button that turns their screen from you know blue to a different color blue sometimes, right? But the customer is always right. We do that. Yeah. Good. So, uh, questions for Paul and Jonathan. How do you stay abreast, you know, in cyber terms of the threat environment, and how does that impact, yeah, you know, how you think about reinsurance? 
there's certain data that we use that is incredibly valuable, but it's not necessarily time sensitive in terms of when we get it. And there's other data that is very, you know, has a very low temporal resolution, but we can't necessarily interpret it holistically. So we have different modules in our system. We spend a lot of time figuring out how to weight um, the historical data that we have appropriately. You know, does, do you completely throw out five years ago or do you wait at 10%? Do you look back six months or do you look back a year? Obviously the answer is you wait it somehow. Um, and then we have different um, predictive methods that we follow to take more cutting edge data that we get from data feeds and that we get from experts to kind of tune pieces of our model to say, oh, this particular threat factor is increasing or this vulnerability is gonna have this effect and that then propagates throughout the model. Great, okay, thanks. Paul, Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you.